Support for the following podcast comes from Hope Made Strong's training, Trauma-Informed Care for the Faith Community. This is a training for church leaders that introduces how to build a safe, healthy, and trauma-informed church community. For just $5, join the training, download the toolkit, and have access to the resource library, offering dozens of books, online resources, and media links. The live training is on February 24th, 2020, but the replay and resources will remain accessible ongoing. Go to hopemadestrong.org slash trauma-informed for more information. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are going to be talking all about how to offer support from a distance. Caring for people when you can't be together. So often we depend on face-to-face contact to care for others in our church and our community. And the in-person connection is powerful, but sometimes that just can't happen. So in this episode, I'm going to share eight practical ideas that are simple ways your church can care and support your people from a distance. In the 1960s, Albert Mayhorabian and his colleagues were curious about the impacts that the spoken word and facial expressions had on an individual's ability to discern liking another person. In other words, how much did people depend on actual words versus body language and the tone of voice used in deciding if they liked someone? It was discovered that to to determine if we liked a person, we depended on the spoken word for only 7% and 55% on body body language and 38% on tone of voice. This was one of the first studies done that was able to show how much we depend on communication through body language and tone of voice over the actual words chosen. Now, with the increase in digital communication, we use this knowledge in how we craft emails, texts, and obviously social posts. In counseling, we are often taught that your body language and tone are key in building trust and rapport with your client. And good rapport is a stronger predictor of success in counseling than the treatment approach or method used. It doesn't matter if you have the best methods, theories, or I'm going to be honest, even scriptures. If you don't have a good rapport or trusting relationship with the person you are supporting, then your efforts will likely not be fruitful. Well, barring a miracle or moving of the Holy Spirit. I share this because when we can't connect with a person face-to-face and support people the way we're used to, it can feel like our efforts are useless. The relationship that you have with the person is more important than the method of support you use. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you connect, build trust, honor their experience, and offer hope. You will have a positive impact. So it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you connect, build trust, honor their experience, and offer hope, you will have a positive impact. So if the relationship is more important than the method, let's look at some of the relationship dynamics that can occur in care ministry. First, the relationship people have with their pastors, well, it's a unique one. While the relationship between pastor and congregant isn't usually personal in that you have regular conversations and shared experiences together, people still build a personal relationship with a pastor because they connect with them each week. 
This is found in other areas too. For example, I have a few podcasts and authors that I regularly listen to that I've never met those persons but feel connected to them. They feel like they could be some of my closest friends even though I've never met them, which is kind of embarrassing to admit. If I ever got a chance to meet them and talk with them, I would be much more familiar with their story as I've connected with their thoughts and perspectives and voice week after week where they have never heard of me or know me in any way. So even though as a pastor, you may not have a personal connection with the person that's seeking support, they most likely have a relationship and connection to you. They have built up trust with you. And so it doesn't really matter what method or modality that you use, as long as it's authentic and compassionate, it will be perceived as helpful. In care ministry, you can be informed that a church member has gone into hospital or suffered a loss, and perhaps you've never even heard their name before, let alone have a relationship with them. So if the relationship is more important than the method, how do we support someone when we don't have a relationship with them? Just a few weeks ago, I believe it was episode 10, we talked about the three pillars of care ministry. This was one of my favorite episodes because I poured out my heart and share that care ministry is really founded on three things. Number one, helping people find a safe place to belong and have community. Number two, assisting people to find their purpose and seeing that they are gifted and set apart by God. And number three, guiding people in discovering the hope of Christ through discipleship. Care isn't so much about what you do, but strengthening someone's sense of belonging, purpose, and hope. Rather than thinking about how you can fix the problem for the, for the member that you don't know, <laughs> or what you can do to make this person feel better, think about how your words or actions will make this person feel, feel like they're part of the church community, or how you can help them feel like they have purpose and destiny, or that there is hope for a better future. Care is less about finding solutions and more about offering belonging, purpose, and hope. Because let's be honest, there isn't likely anything that you could do that would remove the hurt, the suffering, or repair what has been broken. This is the work of God and likely a journey or process for that individual to go through. But what you can do in your care, even if you don't know the person, is build relationship and community. There are many circumstances that create barriers to being able to connect face-to-face with people. The person could be serving in missions or on a military placement. They're unable to attend due to illness like those who are immunocompromised. Recovery center, a locked inpatient unit, or they're away at college or perhaps they're incarcerated. There are so many instances where members of your church are unable to connect to groups or face-to-face care, so it's helpful to have a few practical ways that you can build this sense of community and hope so people feel supported even at a distance. Studies have shown that a higher proportion of people contact their clergy before they would ever consult their doctor or specialist if they're struggling with mental health. So the church will always remain a first responder for people who are struggling. So here are eight ideas that allow you to extend support from a distance. The first idea is sending a card or having or sending a letter or written word. Proverbs 16 says that a kind word brings healing to the soul and healing to the body. Sending a handwritten word of encouragement or support and hope can be powerful for someone. 
Sending a card or a written word is meeting many people's love language, showing them that the church cares and loves them. And it can meet someone's learning modality in that they have a greater comprehension and apply more meaning from the written words as opposed to spoken. It's become rare to receive a letter or card in the mail, so this is an extra personal touch that conveys meaning and value, and sending a message that they are a valuable member of the community and that they matter. And sending a card or a personalized letter takes such few resources, but it has a huge impact. Number two is making a phone call. Talking on the phone is quickly becoming a lost art, and if I'm perfectly honest, it's not my favorite thing to do either. However, having spent years working on a crisis line and providing phone counseling support, I have learned a few methods to make it feel less awkward. The first thing is that shorter and more frequent calls are better than one long call. Also, it's important to recognize the different generational approaches to phone conversations. Those who are older tend to be okay with receiving a call spontaneously. However, if I see that the person is between 30 or 50 years old, then I often like to schedule a call allowing that person to mentally prepare and have a focused time to chat. If the person is under 30, I encourage you to text them and offer a call, or perhaps they just want to continue with text or send voice messages. How people use communication has shifted, and our goal is to care and communicate in a way that supports them. It's not about our comfort or preferences. When you get on a call, I recommend that you have four kind of conversation ideas or topics ready. The first one being having just kind of general information. This is often light conversation, something about the new church news, community events, just something that is light that you can conversational. The second thing is have a few genuine questions prepped about the circumstances. You can ask things like, how are you coping? Or what is the impact of what you're experiencing? Or when do you expect things to change? Be curious. This is where you're using those active listening skills and you're validating and building trust. It's okay to go off into a rabbit trail here. This is all about building relationship. The third thing is to have something to share about yourself, what you did this weekend, or your favorite song right now. What are you looking forward to in the next week or month? People often get tired of talking about themselves or their problem. Having a back and forth conversation or sharing builds relationship and community. Then the fourth thing is to have an encouraging word. This can be a statement, a scripture, or a song, something that you can leave with them that offers hope and strength. If you have these four things prepared and you're willing to be curious and keep the conversation light, short, and focused on encouraging them, then the conversation will be a support and breath of fresh air for the other person and often even enjoyable for you. But just a disclaimer, I do think it's important that you use wisdom and discernment in these phone calls. If the person just lost a close family member, obviously I don't recommend you start the conversation chatting about your weekend plans. But by having these four conversation topics ready, you will be equipped to have a phone conversation that is short and encouraging. Now, the third idea is voicemail. And I quickly mentioned this idea earlier, but I want to highlight it for a minute as a third practical idea. And voicemail doesn't have to be a phone call. You can send a voice recording over messenger and email as well. Earlier, I mentioned that tone of voice as 38% to the message communicated. So sending a two minute recording message by spending two minutes and recording a quick message is a great way to share that you care and you're supporting them at a distance. 
Number four is starting a meal train. Now, I'm not sure if I'm new to this or if this has been around for a while, but this year I have discovered mealtrain.com. Now, I have no way association with them, but I just thought this was such a great tool. It's an easy way to set up meals to be delivered to the person without the admin hassle and the back and forth of organizing. You, the organizer, just sends out the link to everyone and they sign up themselves. And then you can see who's delivering a meal and the recipient can see who's bringing the meal at what time and what it is. Offering meals can relieve a lot of pressure and stress and they allow people to give in a practical way that makes both the giver and and the recipient feel like they're part of a community that cares. Number five is access to resources. This is a huge need and not often thought of as a way to provide care. When facing unexpected loss or hardship, people often feel overwhelmed. And during these times is when there are usually a lot of appointments and meetings and issues that people need support with. People are suddenly faced with navigating systems and resources that are foreign to them. Having a solid understanding of the resources available in your area and helping people find and access them is a huge support for people and can relieve a tremendous amount of stress. I have a free download available called Three Steps to Building a Sustainable Care Ministry. And in that download, there is an outline of different types of resources that could be in your community and that people often need to access. You can download this editable list and build a resource network so that you can offer this much needed support with your congregation. With community resources, there are often a lot of paperwork and applications to complete and appointments to attend. Having a volunteer willing to help with completing some of this paperwork is a massive help. And while it's a bit tricky, this can still be done over the phone or via Zoom as well. Number six is transportation. And while this is still offering support with close contact, it is one of the biggest needs for people. Unfortunately, tragedy often comes with appointments and meetings. Support with transportation or connection with other community organizations that offer transportation is really, really helpful. Idea number seven is offering virtual groups. With the increase of online resources and more people getting comfortable with using Zoom or other virtual meeting software, there is a growing interest in having virtual groups. This can be something that your church hosts, but there are also a few organizations, I believe Fresh Hope and My Quiet Cave. Um, They are hosting virtual groups that are open to people across the country and even North America, might even be around the world, I think. And I'm sure that these are going to increase because they remove so many barriers. So if a congregate is facing some hardship, there is a chance that a virtual group is available to them. This just might take a little bit of research to find. And finally, number eight is virtual support. Three years ago, we would have never considered offering support or pastoral care sessions virtually or with video chat. Now, virtual counseling and support have almost become normal. While I, amongst most clinicians, agree that live in-person sessions are ideal and best practice, the benefits of having more accessible therapeutic sessions outweigh the small sacrifices. With video sessions, you still get feedback from body language, tone, and vocal cadence. You're talking in real time and can have a back and forth discussion just as in person. And you can access support from just about anywhere, decreasing the barriers for those who are in smaller towns or more remote communities. I encourage churches to offer virtual support sessions as well. And here are some key things to keep in mind when offering virtual support. 
Number one, it needs to be optional. There are some issues and circumstances that are just not appropriate for virtual support. For example, those struggling with domestic violence or those who are elderly and not comfortable with technology. Number two, sessions are often much shorter and the goals much smaller. In person, you can often have a 45 to 60 minute session because there's more chatter at the beginning. But I'm finding that virtual work is much shorter and much more goal focused. And this can be a pro or a con. While this chatter can feel like it's not productive, it actually builds trust and rapport, which as we stated earlier, is more important than the method of support. So when you're doing virtual work, try to fit in some trust building chatter at the beginning, knowing that you're session is likely going to be shorter. And the final one is be mindful of the environment. While in an office, there is a high level of privacy, but when in a virtual session, there is limited privacy. There might be other people nearby in the house or in the area, so it's necessary to ask permission before discussing personal matters. I really hope that you found these eight ideas helpful to support and offer care to your congregants from a distance. It can be hard when we can't hug a person or pray for them beside us or cry together. We have learned over the past couple years that there is something powerful about being together. However, care, compassion, and community aren't limited to being together. There are ways of building a sense of belonging and hope when you can't be together, and they can be powerful too. Thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action today. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care, both for yourself and for others in your church? And don't forget to grab that free download, Three Steps to Building a Sustainable Care Ministry. And if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you follow. Thanks for connecting. Take care.